This is the Thrive Podcast with Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. And now, Pastor Fred Jeff Smith. Hello, welcome to the Thrive Podcast with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. I'm Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh, and I'm very happy that you chose to either view on YouTube or listen over iTunes to this, our 39th podcast. And uh, we appreciate your viewership, your listenership. And as we said the last time we were together, we are expecting to expand the podcast. We started this in January of 2018, and uh, uh, it has been very successful, and we're very grateful to God for that. We look to do some expanding of the podcast uh, in the next coming weeks, and we'll be telling you more about it as that time draws near. I'm very happy today to have as my guest, uh, a member of the music staff of the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church, a member of the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church, one of the best-known musicians in the city of Baton Rouge and in the state of Louisiana, and I'm sure that his name is getting to be better and better known around the country, Mr. Mike Foster of the Mike Foster Project. Thank you so much for coming to share with us today. Well, thank you for having me here. It is a pleasure. Tell me about Mike Foster. Tell, tell, tell us who Mike Foster is and how oh. Mike Foster ended up being Mike Foster. Wow. Um, that's a hard one. <laughs> um, basically, uh, Mike Foster was a kid from Dallas who um, marched in the band in high school, thought it wanted to be a classical musician. Uh, my mom suggested uh, out of the choices of school where scholarships were coming from, uh, my, my mom's from New Road, so my grandmother was in New Road. She said, hey, Southern is offering you a little something, you know, mm -hmm. along with TSU and North Texas State and all that in Gramlin. Uh, but if you go to Southern, you'd be closer to your grandmother and kind of go to where your, me and your uncles maybe have gone. So, you know, then I said, okay. She was like, you've been doing this music thing. Why don't you just keep doing it? And so I just kind of followed her advice uh, so I could be closer to my grandmother. Marston the band soon found out uh, after my senior recital that uh, to become a tuba player in a symphony, which was my dream at the time, uh, is not as easy as you think. Uh, it's mm -hmm. Not to mean it's impossible, but it's difficult because there's usually only one tuba player in a symphony. Okay. And I didn't know that. Yeah, usually one, no more than two. Okay. And um, those jobs are very hard to come by because the people who have those jobs pretty much stay on them until they don't just retire. Mm -hmm. you usually have to be an illness or something that takes them away from the job. Okay. And once that job comes available, you're looking at uh, could it be upwards of 100 people that are applying for that particular symphony job. So the mm -hmm. competition is very stiff. Not stiff, not that I was against competition, but uh, while waiting for one of those jobs to come up, you know, I wanted to continue to do something musically. Uh, a lot of my friends are from New Orleans. I decided to pick up a bass and then kind of just learn that culture. And before you know it, I'm playing New Orleans jazz. And um, just used to do it for some little extra change on the side, doing mm -hmm. Mardi Gras. Mm -hmm. And before you know it, uh, with some, you know, a few influential, influential people come and say, oh, you ought to go to do this, you ought to go to that. And we had one I think we did for the NAACP some years ago, and that kind of started uh, back in 1992, okay. and that kind of started everything where people would call for this, and we started meeting uh, all these political people and judges and playing for them, and before you know it, uh, we got a CD offer out of New Orleans, and uh, we were signed with a, signed with a record label, and uh, before you know it, we're tra traveling around the world, traveling around the country, uh, getting to see places that I've only seen on TV and only dreamed of, places you thought you'd never go, like Russia. Yes, sir. You know, found myself in those places playing Louisiana music. So tell me. 
Why are there only two tuba players? And I'm still stuck back on there are only two tuba players <laughs> in an orchestra. It's, you, you have this huge horn section. Why are there only two tubas? Is, is there a logic behind that? Uh, I don't think there's a logic. A lot of the music, uh, especially depending on what uh, time period that this, this, these uh, symphonies were written, you mm -hmm. know, Baroque, Romantic, or whatever, there's not a lot of parts for the low end. It's a lot of string uh, mm -hmm. and wind ensembles. You know, a lot of these... Uh, these musics, this a lot of this music imitated the uh, the keyboard at the time or the piano at the time, okay. although the clav clavier, the well-tempered clavier, mm -hmm. and all the the highest tones were for wind instruments and for strings, and a lot of those movements didn't do a lot of things on the low end register. Plus, you had the strings. You, uh, you might find now five or six upright basses in the symphony. So that mm -hmm. low end is pretty much covered by another string instrument, but it is the bass. Okay. So when it comes to the, the brass part of it, you know, not many tubas. Interesting. Yes. Next time I go to the symphony, I'm going to count tubas and yes. see what I come up <laughs> yes, with. Yes, you're watching. There, uh, the Baton Rouge Symphony, I want to say, has maybe four of the upright basses, mm -hmm. and the principal uh, sousaphone player, who was my sousaphone player and uh, instructor in college, um, a tuba instructor in college, Frank Chimay, he's been there since he he was he was there for some years when I uh, got to Southern in 1985, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and he is still to this day the principal tuba player for the Baton Rouge Symphony, the okay. only one. Okay, and okay. that's over you know 30 something years. Yeah, now. yeah. So 30, it goes to show you how the, yeah, yeah. It goes to show you how long they're they're there. And he had been there for some time after the Air Force, mm -hmm. and uh, before I even got to Southern. So that's very interesting. So you you are from Dallas, come to Baton Rouge, uh, you have Louisiana roots, yes, uh, and you fall into uh, playing New Orleans jazz. Help me understand and help those who are listening or viewing understand the distinction between New Orleans jazz versus other types of, of, of jazz. Very good question. New Orleans jazz, uh, as you know, New Orleans is a uh, gumbo pot of all these different cultures, you know, mm -hmm. that you have. And so uh, you take the, what was uh, what was brought over by the slaves, which is the rhythm, more of the rhythmic stuff, you know, a rhythm called the bambula. Mm -hmm. uh, the things that when the slaves were able to, uh, when they were able to go out and celebrate in Congo Square, it was mainly the drum rhythms. And one of the main drum rhythms then was a drum rhythm called bambula. And we hear it a lot in the New Orleans second line music. You might hear that beat go boom, 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 boom. And when you hear Owen the Saints and all this kind of stuff, mm -hmm. that underlining bass drum beat mm -hmm. is the heartbeat, is the root of the bambula. So you take that music and you take that uh, African, those African rhythms and you mix it with the music of uh, the West, those har harmonic stru structures, and you put those two together. Then you have that, just like making a gumbo, you have, uh, if these people were singing classical music and their harmony, har uh, harmonies were based on uh, Western basic music laws, you know, you're dealing with your car, your car tones, one, three, five, seven. Well, these people a lot of times were classically trained. When I say one, three, five, seven. Thank you, because you just lost <laughs> me when you did uh, that. A chord is basically uh, two or more notes. Okay. And a scale... Uh, which is normally eight notes uh, here in here in America. Uh, so if I say I'm playing a C scale, it's C D F G A B, and then you back to C again. Right. Well, C is the number one, then B is two, D is three, like that. So what they do is they go out and they take the one, which is C, the three, which is E, 
and the five, which is G. Okay. And it's the one, the three, and the five of that scale, and that makes a chord. Okay. That makes what you, well a major chord um, okay. at the time, and then you can alter a few notes, and that's when you get your minor and diminished and augmented. Mm -hmm. But it's basically numbers. It's all music is all math. So any of those numbers, if a lot of times when I'm uh, playing here at Shallow and, and I'm uh, Lawrence is kind of a Maria, they're giving me cues, they'll they'll hold up a number, you know, right. and uh, it's like go to the one, go to the five. And sometimes it's like, okay, they might hold up, a, before they start, they might hold up a couple of fingers to tell me two flats mm -hmm. and let me know what key we're in. So okay. that's how we are able to communicate with numbers or number number signals. Okay. And, uh, and so it's basic math. So a lot of times when I'm playing, I might... Um, do a run that's based off a pattern of numbers. You know, I might say in my mind, one, three, five, one, three, five, one, three, five. And then to you all, it sounds like, do, 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 do. But I'm going, one, three, five, one, three, five, one, three, you know, I'm thinking numbers. Okay. And so it's, it's interesting that uh, when you do that, like a lot of times when I teach, I was a band director for over 12 years. And on the middle school and high school level, what I'll, uh, especially now when I go into the classrooms, uh, I'll tell kids when we're learning to make music, I'll say, okay, what is your phone number? Don't tell me. But what I want you to do is take this scale, B-flat concert scale or whatever, and write you and put the letters under your phone number. So if my phone, let's say the church's phone number, 3430640. Yes. So if I'm in C, the 3 is E, the 4 is D, so it'll be E, D, E, and then the corresponding numbers. And I'll say, play that and turn it into a melody. Now they've, they've become a, a composer. They've created a song, and it's easy for them to remember it because wow. it's based off of a number that they already know. John Coltrane, the, the jazz tenor, the legendary jazz tenor saxophone player, uh, used to base a lot of his solos around, when he would practice, he would open a phone book and pick a number. Really? Yes, and, and, and go through, look at the number and play those card, those uh, corresponding notes to phone numbers. Okay, so now you got me curious. What do you do with a zero and what do you do with a nine? Well, the, the zero, um, you don't do anything with. We'll, we'll do it the same as if we were doing a one. And the nine, anytime you get past eight, uh, the, like two, right. it will be nine. Again, because you're going like, so if, if one is, uh, let's say C is one. Right. And when you get to eight, that's just a higher octave of C. Right. So that's like one again. Okay. So then you go to uh, nine, that's like doing two again. And okay. same thing. So some cards will have nines, and you'll hear uh, uh, Marin and Lawrence do this fancy talking. We're going to play 11s right here. And Jarrell as well, they, they play these pretty, they call them pretty tones. It's the ninth and the 11th and the 13th. All you're doing is repeating the scale over again, but uh -huh. in a higher octave. Okay. And so those higher tones now sit on top of uh, some of the lower tones that you have here. And they spread those things out. So that's where you get your ninths, tenths, and 11. It's only two three and four played all over again but okay. on a higher level now you said something else that that caught my ear uh you, you said that in america there are only eight notes yeah well, in, there are only in other places there are there are more notes yes than eight? In, in america there are basically only eight notes in the scale there are 12 notes total right um and it's a you know it's a series of sharps and uh sharps and or flats there's a thing called cycle of circle of a uh, cycle of sharps and flats and they're only in reverse so if sharps go this way the reverse of it would be the flats right. uh, so it's all mathematical and all kind of um gel together that way but in other countries um say for example if we're closing out your sermon and everybody goes ah, naturally we're going to hear man that's a cadence call five to one anytime we want to do a uh, resolve a chord five always for the most part, resolved to one. So um, if we want to walk down, you know, you might hear Lawrence and then play something like, 
And they're doing, they're walking it down from the five, four, three, one, or two, one, whatever it is. So in China, uh-huh. you, uh, if you go, uh, they may go, man, you know, they're not normally hearing the one. Okay. They would naturally do that. We used to have a, a uh, Asian student at Southern University. She played violin, and she could not hear that resolution going from five to one, it's, it's natural for us, for us. But she kept wanting to hear it go somewhere else. And in um, Asian uh, scales and other places, they are, they're dealing with, what's, uh, with maybe semitones or some halftones and scales mm-hmm. that we don't normally play or hear. So it depends on what culture and where you are. So then music is cultural. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and not necessarily universal. It's a universal language. It's cultural, but it's a universal language. So by that I mean you may hear and want to resolve, and when I say resolve, go to a different place for your last note. Right. And that's just what you naturally hear from the time you've grown up and everything you know. Right. Um, but universally, you can tell me, instead of going five to one, you'll tell me go, go five to two. Mm-hmm. So now universally, I know what you mean. It's, I know exactly where you want me to go because we're able to speak the same language mm-hmm. of the music. You know, or you may tell me go to go from uh, F to B natural instead of F to B flat. Mm-hmm. So we may I'm, you may not speak English, but if you tell me or show me, say go from F to B flat, I know exactly what to do. Mm-hmm. But you're not necessarily going to hear the same res- resolve as, as I do because of your culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's different forms of tension and release. Music is all about creating different forms of tension and release. And I'm gonna give you a good example of something here in our culture. Okay. Uh, most African-Americans, we hear our beats on two and four. Uh, and that's the number. So you might say one. It's about upbeat versus downbeat? Uh, uh, pre- pretty much, but all, all these that I'm about to give you is going to be downbeat. Okay. So if I say one, two, ready, go. One, two, three, four. One, two, mm-hmm. three, four. And a lot of uh, us and our kids could dance to that. They'll feel that. And, and a lot of the snare drumming out music falls on beats two and four. Mm-hmm. One, two. Two, three, four, tick, 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 mm-hmm. tick, tick. And you can feel it and you can dance it, you can make you want to move. But then think about country music. And some people would ask, why would another why would another race why can't other races sometimes hear and feel that beat? Mm-hmm. Well they're hearing one and three. So now let me give you two and four again. <laughs> one, two, ready, and one, two, three, four. That's what we're hearing. And so they're hearing one, two, ready, and one, two, three, four. One, two, now, I'm three. laughing at this because my wife tells me all the time when we're at home and I, when we're listening to music, she'll say, you're on the wrong beat. She, <laughs> sa- she says, you're on the upbeat and not on the downbeat. And so I'm listening to you, and, and what you're saying is I'm hearing something, because I love country music. I, uh-huh. I, I love country I, music, and, too. And, and I must hear something different from what she hears because she... She laughs at me all the time and says, you, you, you're on the wrong beat. Yeah, and, and you're probably... And I don't know that I'm on the wrong beat. You're probably hearing one and three, mm-hmm. you know, which is... That, there's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with hearing one and three. It's just that... Uh, See, I'm not I, common. I, 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 I'm deficient in some way that I, I, I don't hear the right beat. Okay. Yep. All and, right. And so well, that's Dimitri, why, you win that one. Go ahead. And so, and so that's why some people will, will, will say, and this, this is not me making fun of anybody, but uh, uh, my band, we play a lot of weddings. Mm-hmm. All types of uh, races, Indian, uh, Caucasian, African American, whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's it is true that a lot of times at some Caucasian weddings they want to hear our music, but they're not always able to dance on the beat. Right. And you wonder like, what are they hearing? How do, what are they doing to make a move like that? But they're feeling 
the one and the three. Yeah. So to us, it just looks like they're just way off beat, but, but they're having a good time, but it just looks like they're way off beat. Yeah. Yeah. And then I go to a wedding for, uh, you know, an African-American person and they're getting it, you know, in my mind, you know, they're on that two and four. And it's just uh, it's just all about what people that's are feeling. fascinating to me. That, yep. That, that, that you can hear the same song, but hear it completely, hear it completely different completely different ways. Uh, that is right. And a lot of it has to, has to do with culture, what you were uh, exposed to growing up. You know, so uh, if you think about a lot of uh, harmonic music, and when I say harmonic music, I'm speaking like classical mm -hmm. and even even in some country, there's uh, it's movement. So it's not a lot of <clears throat> structured two and four or mm -hmm. one and three. Mm -hmm. um, if you if that's what you listen to uh, growing up and if you listen to country music, a part of, as part of that growth you were being subjected to the one and the three. Mm -hmm. So then when you finally, after all those years, you get up and then now you listen to this other music that you love, mm -hmm. but the emphasis is on the two and the four, it's going to take some getting used to to uh, feel it. Um, I'll give you an example. When I used to take my kids to the fair, uh, they had this this ride. It was the bike that um, if you could get from, from right here to over there, this little short line without falling off the bike, then you get the prize. Well, the trick with the bike was you had to turn the handlebars the opposite way that's where you wanted the wheel to go. And so you're thinking, okay, I can ride this bike. And then, of course, the guy who was taking your money knew how to do it, and he right. made it look real easy. But the thing was, we have instincts. So when you get on there and that wheel starts to turn one way, your natural instincts makes you want to turn to correct mm -hmm. the wheel. Mm -hmm. But when you go to your natural instincts to turn to correct the wheel, you're going the wrong way and you're falling off the bike. I got you. So those type of instincts happen um, with our neurons, and it comes from everything from your childhood to uh, on up through adulthood because mm -hmm. you're just, it's like things that are second nature to you, brushing your teeth. If someone asks you to try to, today brush your teeth up and down all the time instead of sideways, you'll be able to do it, but you're now you're concentrating hard. And you're now you're going to try to go and... And you have to actually think about it. You have to actually really think about it and concentrate on it. And so the same thing happens, uh, especially with music, because music ha is dealing with vibrations, mm -hmm. uh, vibrations that are actually felt and it, they're processed through the brain. Mm -hmm. So you want to do things that you naturally have felt when hearing music. You know, mm -hmm. you're still hearing har harmonies and everything in music that you heard when you're a child, but that beat is something totally different, mm -hmm. you know? And so you all beat when you dance. What I find fascinating as, I, as I'm listening to you, I'm, I'm extrapolating from music to politics, oh. to theology, to uh, our views on race and racism, our views on business and entrepreneurship. We, you ask yourself, how can sane people vote for certain people to be president of the United States, who shall remain nameless, today <laughs> only he shall remain nameless. Uh, but clearly, when he speaks, and we of a certain culture hear one thing, People of a different culture hear something totally different. Something completely different, and you're saying that 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 difference in culture is so deep that it even affects how we hear music. Absolutely, that's fascinating to me. That somebody ought to write a book on that. <laughs> well, and uh, I, I think that there have been some uh, writings on it, and actually, like some of the stuff that I'm here to talk about today will has been some tests done. So, I'll give you give you an example. If I were to ask you to name me your top three sciences, 
uh, or some sciences that you are fascinated by. Mm -hmm. You probably tell me what. Logic, uh, philosophy, and probably psychology. Okay, and and and, and you're a well-educated man. Now, if I go and ask your average middle school student, or high school student, name me some of the sciences, or even your basic. Uh, undergrad college student, name me some of the scientists. Scientists, they're gonna tell me, um, you know, biology, physical science, right. uh, uh, maybe astrology, some other things. But one of the few sciences you're gonna hear people name is behavioral science. Mm -hmm. But it is the most important, well, not the most important, I'm, I'm, let me say that, but it's so important today with what goes on in our community. Mm -hmm. uh, you look at what happens with reality TV, you look at what happens through social media, and these things trend and help to guide our behavior. Mm -hmm. They help us to say, if somebody tags something that says this is trending, then we feel like, okay, this is maybe a behavior that I need to have mm -hmm. because it's trending. Everybody's doing it, so this must be the next big thing to do. Mm -hmm. Or if somebody does something ridiculous and gets rich off of it, you have someone else saying, okay, what if I try that? Maybe, you know, maybe I can get rich off of that. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's all based off of a behavioral science. And a lot of people miss the fact that music, and this is what uh, I call it and what I'm, what I'm going to be calling it in all 2019, making people aware of, that music is the, um, the real true gateway drug that we miss. And the reason I say that music is the real gateway drug, um, we all know that music has its abilities to make us laugh, right. make us cry, make us right. feel good. And we just know that it does. A lot of times we don't even wonder why and how, but it does. Um, and especially on the feel-good part, when we listen to music that makes us feel good, it releases the chemical in our brain, dopamine. And then when we get this extra dose of dopamine, you know, we're just, we're remembering that great feeling that we're getting. Now, if you're getting this great music and you're putting a bad message with it, you're tying together this great feeling with this bad message. Mm -hmm. And you're saying that this is, uh, you're giving that mixed feeling of mixed emotion of this is okay. So you may know that it's bad for you, but it feels good. Mm -hmm. So now dopamine is... Uh, one of the things that's targeted by designer drugs, mm -hmm. which means, which is the reason you can't, it's so hard to kick it. You take crack, you take heroin, any of those things, one of the main things that it attaches itself to is the uh, the neurons that contr help control dopamine. So if you wonder why would this person go out in the street and or sell their family's property or sell their body, and that's just that's just ludicrous. Why would you even do that? Mm -hmm. Well, a lot of times they it's, that's that's why I call it addiction. They mm -hmm. cannot help it. They cannot. This uh, these designer drugs are so strong to where alone they can't help to detach mm -hmm. how this drug makes them feel mm -hmm. because it creates an explosion of dopamine in the brain. And we see a person as laid over, look like out of the mind, out of whatever, and they're in another world on another planet somewhere they've never been before with a feeling they've, they want to hurry up and get back to. It takes them away from the real world. Mm -hmm. and, and that's uh, a core of addiction. And so when I say music is the gateway drug, uh, how are most people introduced to drugs or introduced to violence or introduced to sex? Nowadays, it is through our mainstream music that that um, we're listening to, a lot of us are listening to, mm -hmm. and it's being it's uh, it's become 
acceptable on our mainstream radio stations uh, out here that as long as we bleep out the profanity, that it's okay. But the message is still being put forth. Mm -hmm. And uh, part of what I was coming to talk about today, and I hate, I don't mean to get off topic so fast, but part of what I was coming to talk about today is the initiative that I'm going to be pushing is that we have parents uh, riding around listening to what they think is fine. Um, and I've talked to all these, uh, the, the project, uh, the program manager and all the personalities, uh -huh. they're all going to be a part of the documentary that we will be doing. But if I'm a child, imagine you are riding in the car and you got your uh, child in the back, in the car seat, elementary school level or younger, or middle school level or younger, and I, you roll up all the windows and you start smoking a cigarette. Right. Okay, so naturally that child is going to be subjected to secondhand smoke right. and any kind of ailment that comes from it. And as much as you do it, uh, it will will determine how sick they will eventually become. Right. Well, now, imagine the same thing happening with music. So you're in the car with your child, and this music is playing, and the songs that you hear are saying, um, uh, the message is just bad. So instead of it saying, you know, if somebody bullies you, you know, go tell the teacher or the principal, uh, it's saying if somebody bullies you, you know, pop a cap in them. You know, uh, one of the songs is, and I brought a list of some lyrics, but one, if some, uh, don't step on my shoes, and if you step on my shoes, here's what's going to happen to you. Mm -hmm. You know, stuff like that. And so now the child is in the back seat, and the parent's up there releasing dopamine, mm -hmm. and they're dancing and having a good time to it. And so now the child is, is this is acceptable. There's my mom, or there's my dad. They're dancing to this song that is saying uh, some of these lyrics that are just utterly ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And there's this one song... Um, by this artist that says, uh, in a nutshell, he wants to uh, take this girl uh, without, you know, without her consent. Mm -hmm. He wants to uh, have unprotected sex with her. And before he do all, all of this, he's going to pop a pill. And this is a part of a major song that's on in rotation today mm -hmm. on one of our radio stations. And uh, so what I do is I get on social media and I get to see these parents who record themselves and record their child in the background singing all the words to these songs. Mm -hmm. And they think it's funny. And they, hey, hey, look oh, he know, look at him. He's jigging. And so you take the, a child, elementary school, middle school, who are at the most crucial points of their learning, mm -hmm. where they are the biggest sponges ever. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these parents think, okay, my child learns when I drop him off to school, him or her off to school. Well, your child is learning all the time. Mm -hmm. So now if they're riding with you and this is what's acceptable, this is what they're learning. Mm -hmm. And so you can tell your child before he leaves the school every day, hey, uh, do your homework. And if somebody gives you trouble, go to the, uh, an adult and let them know what's going on. That didn't take five minutes for you to tell that to that child. But if the music you're listening to on that 20-minute ride to school to drop them off and on that 20, 30-minute ride back home says otherwise, when a child experiences what they feel is trauma, mm -hmm. bullying, uh, not being able to fit in, whatever it is, the first thing that they're going to come to is not going to be what it took my mom two minutes to say this morning. It's going to be what, what's been put in their spirit. Mm -hmm over and over daily for this 20, 30 minutes, right? And the mom is not going to say that every morning. Might say it once a week, might say it once a month. But every morning when you get in that car, you get this other message. So what you're saying is we will manage what our children see on television. We will manage the movies that we let our children go to. 
we will manage the video games that we let our children play, but we don't manage the music that they listen to. Am I hearing you correctly? Absolutely. You know, uh, we're in a different time, and mm -hmm. we have to be able to change. With, and that's absolutely what you hear me say. We have to be able to change with the time. People don't really listen to CDs anymore. Right. And there was a time during legislation that uh, they had to put a sticker on the CD that said parental advisory. Right. So that would let the parent know that this this uh, message or these lyrics in this thing are, um, you know, you need to check this out first before letting your child right. hear this and see it. Well, now everything is pretty much being streamed. Mm-hmm through headphones, through the car, and then we get on the radio. So that parental advisory sticker, that warning, is no longer there. Mm -hmm. And then it's been replaced by what we call the clean version. Mm -hmm. um, I had a, um, a concert at a school that I won't name on here, but I call it Trap Elementary mm -hmm. um, for trap music. We got in and we were setting up to play to give them this concert, and... Um, elementary school and so one of the male teachers said well we're going to put some, I'm going to put some music on while you guys finish set up and while we bring the students in I was like okay and this guy he pushed this music on and uh the first song was uh the little dance that all the kids used to know at that time do the nay nay watch me whip watch me nay nay and all the kids knew the dance and it was cute mm -hmm. the next song questionable had some words bleated bleeped out the following song very questionable. Now, this guy was playing from his playlist, so I'm I'm now I'm uncomfortable in and here. This is a school official. Oh yes, this is a okay. teacher, a school okay. official. Okay. So I'm uncomfortable, and then finally, they announced that the principal was going to come in and do the welcome for us and everything. Mm -hmm. Well, the principal comes in, dancing to the song, and so now all the, all the little kids are happy to see the principal, like she's dancing with us, you know, our principal. Mm -hmm. So they, hey, and she goes and she dances down the aisle, comes up on the stage, and then she does this five, four, three, two, one thing, and then they all shut up, and then the music stops. Mm -hmm. Well, he stops the music, and then she does this five, four, three, two, one thing, and then boom, silence. Then they do a crisscross applesauce, hands in the cookie jar. And so they all fold their legs and get attention. And her philosophy was give them a little bit of what they want, and then we change it over to when it's time to for mm -hmm. discipline, it's time for discipline. Mm -hmm. And I kind of get that, but what you get, you're giving them what they want and, and, and you're not looking at the deleterious effects yeah. of what you're doing. Yeah. You know, you're making a compromise, and yes, a lot of these kids are coming from uh, homes where um, uh, some, some of the parents might, and might, might maybe less fortunate homes, you know, and it's obvious that, uh, and, and she talked to me like some of these kids, we have to help with uniforms, you know, mm -hmm. some of these kids. Uh, parents may be uh, in jail, whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. uh, but we, you know, we're keeping these kids and we got them on the right track and they're learning. And our school grade has gone up from a D to a C. And all that's fine and well. But the end result is trauma for an adult and trauma for a child can be very different. You know, you go to a middle school and you get bullied in the bathroom by a group of girls. That could be devastating to a young girl, mm -hmm. sixth grade, seventh grade. And then now you're laughed at constantly you can't go and sit with everybody right. so if i'm hearing a song on the radio riding home with my mom that says uh push me to the edge all my friends are dead and i just want to kill myself you know i want to commit suicide and this ring and that, that hook is ringing over and over mm -hmm. about how hurt i am and i just want to kill myself mm -hmm. and then if and, and then you don't know the effects that that can have afterwards there was a girl uh, right after i stopped teaching in new roads very very smart young lady her parents um 
I think we're both dead. Mm-hmm. She was living with her grandmother, and she had was starting to be cyberbullied uh, at the high at this high school, and it got so bad to the girl just at school one day went under the bleachers out there on the football field and hung herself. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, committed suicide right there at the school. Mm-hmm. We think surely it could not have been that bad, but that trauma for that young lady at that time was that bad. And when, you, when we talk about the deleterious effects, uh, a lot of it is mental and a lot of it is physical too, it's harmful. Look at what we just had last week with this uh, 13 year old who shot and killed the six year old. And, right. then, and the thing was, uh, you know, we were imitating a rap video, you know, want to look like rappers. And this is not the first case of that happening uh, yeah. at all. So this, these effects of this, this music that we're listening to is so dangerous and people wonder, you know, how can we stop and do this with crime in our community and this is going on? Our, um, our politicians, our city and state leaders, they're focused and they want to focus more on uh, treatment because it's more profitable. They want to focus more on treatment than prevention. Mm-hmm. And that's where our problems, uh, that's a lot where our problem lies. So for me and my platform being music, uh, I, I asked the question, you know, what is it that I can do to help curb? And it's really about saving our children, mm-hmm. curbing crime in this community. Mm-hmm. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that music has a large part to do with it. And if music is my platform, that's what I want to use to be able to do something about it. For somebody else, it may be literacy. We know literacy is something that uh, can help. Yeah. curb this problem. But for yeah. me, that's my platform. So I don't know if you had another question before I got into no, what you, I really you're want. No, do, you're doing fine. But, well, but uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of fascinated with, with this conversation because uh, I'm connecting it with other things. A, a, a large number of, of the guests that we have had uh, on this podcast have a background in uh, comedy, st- stand-up comedians. Right. And uh, one of the things that I ask them about is the kind of comedy that they do and where the comedy comes from. Because as, as I have watched documentaries on uh, world famous comedians, most of them say that their comedy comes from a place of pain in, in their own lives, uh, right. in, in their own background. And, and they took it and did something with it and turned it around and made it something positive for them uh, through uh, stand-up comedy work. I'm wondering if we really have a full appreciation for how much uh, everyday things, music, uh, comedy, conversations that we hear uh, significant others have in our lives, how, how much of an impact that has on the way that we think and 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 you know the, there's a part of us uh intellectually that says well of course it does but i wonder how much we really understand and appreciate the value or the the danger that's involved in that growing up i sat at the table with my parents for dinner it, it, it wasn't a, a a volunteer thing we had dinner <laughs> right. together as a family and i listened to conversation and and we were allowed to participate up to a point in 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 that conversation and i believe to the depths of my soul that it has helped to shape me for better or worse as to who i am you don't hear about family sitting around the dinner table 
anymore no. having conversation. You don't hear about families doing anything without a television on or music on or something like that going on. You're having these conversations at the dinner table uh, in, in, for us, what was a nuclear family setting, but even if it's an extended family, people don't do that anymore. Uh, so if you're not picking up your information from the dinner table from your parents, where are you picking up the information from? Are you picking it up from the streets? Are you picking it up from the music? Are you picking it up from the television? Are you picking it up from the movies? How do... There is no way to legislate that. There, there, there is no law that you can write. There is no policy that the government can develop that can curb that. This has to do with behaviors that take place within individuals. Right. And I imagine that that's what it is that you wanted to approach. So, 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 so talk about that and, and how you plan to approach that or, or what it is that you would like to see done. Okay, so, um, and I'm glad you said that. You're absolutely correct. There's really no legislation or you, you there's no way you can pass le legislation that will curb that. So you have to find a way to reach individuals. Um, and I want to be clear that this is not about censorship mm -hmm. uh, for, for me doing this because I'm an artist myself. And the last thing I want to do is censor anybody because there are stories that need to be told mm -hmm. uh, no matter how horrifying or horrific or whatever it is. And that's that person's freedom of speech and right to speak. So I don't want any artist to change what they're doing. But I brought, a, uh, I brought something for you. And uh, this is, so the name of the um, initiative that I'm going to be pushing in 2019 is called MAP, Musically Alert Parents. Okay. And so basically, I don't care if it's one by one, if it's a school, if it's a group, it's a community, the basic idea is to make parents become aware of what they're listening to in the presence of their children. So um, when I'm teaching... I always kind of I have this analogy that I do with children and fruits and vegetables. So for me, and I've taught on all levels mm -hmm. for <clears throat> for years. So you take your high school students, and I look at them as the fruits and vegetables that you may get at Walmart or the Albertsons or something. You know, they've been uh, kind of selected for you, and um, you kind of going to. That's what when you get that, that's what you're going to get. Sometimes I get there and I see some nice bell peppers, you know, full and real good looking and then other days I might get there and some of these bell peppers are wrinkly and you better hurry up and catch them and use them tonight or they're not going to be any good. Right. But that's kind of what you're going to get when you go to the grocery store to get your fruit and vegetables. Um, shelf life, very short. Now you go to the, uh, to the fruit stand or to the farmer's market and now there you're going to get some uh, vegetables that, and things that you know may not even be quite right but you take them home you got a little bit more time a lot of them have uh, taken a lot more care into it mm -hmm. uh, so a lot of a lot more organic stuff not a lot of pesticides been involved you know where, where's your walmarts they come from these big farms where everything's been controlled with pesticides and all this kind of stuff right and then you get to the farmer's market kind of more organic bigger selection fresher vegetables you know at farmers market or fruit stand that's my middle school students mm -hmm. and then my elementary elementary school students are like the garden these are the seedlings you get to plant them you get to nurture them water give them sunshine and have more control over how these fruits and vegetables will turn out so you have those three levels the garden a farmers market grocery store so we're not throwing any of these vegetables and fruits away but we have discovered, I have discovered, that if we, for right now, we put uh, 
a lot of our concentration into the garden and into the farmer's market, then we can yield a better result down the line. So mm -hmm. this is not, of course, something that's going to happen overnight. So this is, um, I wanted to give this to you. What we plan to do is um, have the ultimate goal that we would like to see happen, or I would like to see happen, mm -hmm. is to, you know how if you go through a school zone, they have these signs that say, uh, no handheld device while going through the school zone. You know, they just passed that law a couple of years ago. Right. Or you might go in the neighborhood and you see a sign that says uh, deaf kid at play or something like that. Well, in these carpool lines at these elementary and middle school schools, I like to have a sign up there that has this logo on it as a reminder to tell parents, to have parents, oh, let me let me make sure I'm listening to the right thing here while mm -hmm. my child is in the car. Mm -hmm. So if you can pull up the carpool and you see this sign, this is a reminder of Oh, okay, let me wake up. What am I? Let me pay attention to what we're listening to, mm -hmm. and or let me do these alternative things, uh, like have dialogue or listen to a different music or have dad jokes or whatever you're going to do at that time, other than just listen to the radio. Mm -hmm. So this is our um, thing here. <laughs> That's cool. And, uh, you notice we have the uh, the head. There's there's no certain ethnicity here. This could be uh, African-American, Caucasian, uh, Hispanic, whatever. Right. And uh, it's global because this is the reach that we want to have. It's called mm -hmm. MAP, but it's like global. We want to mm -hmm. have this to be far-reaching. And we have the headphones here with the these sounds and everything coming in and out. And so this is a MAP Musically Alert Parents. And so I want you to have this T-shirt. And what it, basically what it is, if somebody see this and they ask you, uh, what is that? What is MAP? Then it opens up that dialogue. Yeah. You know, basically, we want people to be aware of what their kids are listening to in our presence, or you know, or just make sure we can c control it. Because we know you can't control everything, especially not when you get to high school and the kids are driving and their friends have already exposed them to certain other things, you right. know. But uh, a lot of times on that, those crucial levels, elementary school and middle school, you can kind of, um, while you still got them there, control what they're listening to. So this is yours. Your wife, Thank you. Your wife told me that you like to work out in these shirts when people I do, I walk so. every morning. This is perfect. I love it. I want y'all to see that. That is perfect. Thank you very, very much. You're welcome. So I really appreciate that. So when you think about the power and the effects of, really the effects of music, uh, I teach the kids all the time. Uh, I'll say, well, how many of y'all play video games? All of them raise their hand. Right. How, many, how many of y'all go to the movies? You know, I'll raise your hand. You know, how many of you have your favorite show that you watch on TV at home? They all raise their hand. I said, well, did you ever stop to realize that in every one of those things, there's music playing? Every last one of them. Your video game right. comes on with some music. Right. That movie is going to come on and go off right. and in between have music. Right. Television show, same thing. So I create, I, I, start, I create this awareness so you'll know that music is constantly all around. You go into grocery stores, certain stores to shop. There's certain music playing to make you feel. Yeah. A certain way. Yeah. And you want to, okay, when, when did all this start? How long has this been going on? Well, it's been going on forever. You think about um, Plato. Plato said that uh, humans that listen to music during their growing, growing up years uh, will balance out their souls as adults. And even Aristotle said that um, he agreed saying people that listen to the wrong kind of music will become the wrong kind of person. People that listen to the right kind of music will become the right kind of person. Hmm. And even if you go to Proverbs 23 and 7, and it says, as a man think it, you know, in his heart, so is he. If this is what's putting in your, in your spirit and in your right. heart, and that's what you're going to think, and that's what you're going to do. Right. So every parent, every guardian, 
should should take this and look at how and see how serious this is. When when you get the news and you say I I can I can't believe my child would say or would do that mm-hmm. is because you're not so much in tune to what it is that they're listening to. Right. You know, if you're on your cell phone and you're driving and you're going to school and you just have that radio on, that's being absorbed. And I've seen way too much of it on social media. Mm-hmm. Not only where they're not paying attention, but they're getting the kids involved mm-hmm. in it. Curse words and all. Right. And you think and it and you think it's funny and it's cute and it's not. You are damaging your child right. and uh and and hopefully not setting them up for uh so for failure to where they're gonna be incarcerated or become in the system because of certain beliefs that happen because your route your route to school and to pick them up. It reminds me of, of that commercial that used to run about uh, about drugs where a father bursts into his son's room. That's right. Says, who, wh- where did you learn this? How, how did you get a hold of this? And the kid finally says, I learned it from you. Learned about watching you. Yeah, yeah. And, then- and, and, and so what you're saying is uh, we are shaping the way our children think, not even knowing that we're shaping the way our children think through the music that we listen to and that we expose them to. Nail on the head. <sighs> I appreciate the shirt very much, and, I, and I'm going to wear it, trust me. Uh, are you all doing a website? Are you doing some kind of informational? We, well, uh, what we have going on, we have um, meetings that are going to be set up with the school board. Uh, I've already talked to the mayor's people about, um, you know, we're, we're pulling everything together now. The whole past year has been done with a lot of, just a lot of research, mm-hmm. uh, putting a lot of research. And then uh, hopefully we will get the governor's wife involved. Uh, by early next year, because she's a, a old elementary, ex elementary yes. school teach music yes. teacher, so I think this will definitely be something that will um, get her attention, and, mm-hmm. and that's what we want to. We want to try to bring this down from the highest level mm-hmm. and to come down. And of course, everybody on the school board who we've talked to are all on board. We're like, yeah, this is really something that kind of needs to be done. And here's, for, I mean, here's what we already know: if you play a musical instrument or if you're exposed to music. Uh, at an early age, num- number of studies have been done. It helps with cognitive thinking. It helps you with standardized tests. Uh, it helps you to work out puzzles and mazes, all that, as opposed to a child who has not been exposed to that thing. And mm-hmm. people will tell you that stuff all the time. But what you do not hear is, what about the other side? What if they're exposed, not exposed to this music? Then what are those effects? Well, you don't hear it mm-hmm. because there are some powers that, that be that don't want you, they want you to ignore that side because it's a multi-billion-dollar industry for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They don't want you to know about that. There was a study done uh, by a lady named uh, Dr. Arlene Taylor, uh, and she and some scientists uh, did this study where they took uh, just like they do a lot of things. They took mice. They took 36 mice and separated them into three groups: group A, B, and C. And group A was a con- control group. They didn't expose them to any music at all. Group B, they exposed them to harmonic music. Excuse me. So that's like a symphony, anything that's dealing with harmonies and mathematical things where you're putting, these, putting this music together based off math and numbers and everything that kind of locks itself in harmonically. Mm-hmm. B- group B was exposed to harmonic music. And group C was exposed to rock and roll. And so what they did was they... Um, they took these groups and they played the same uh, decibel level for group B and C, harmonic music and the rock and roll, for two months. And then they gave them a three-week uh, rest. And then they trained these mice to go through this maze. 
they trained them to run this maze in a certain amount of time. Mm-hmm. And so they took the uh, mice uh, from each group and they, they took four out of each group and did a test on the brain cells to test the neurons. The neurons of group A and B were normal. The neurons of group C that listened to the rock and roll, those neurons had become uh, tangled, almost like that of the neurons you would see in somebody that has Parkinson's. So then they uh, put the mice back in the maze. Group A was able to make it through the maze the same as they were trained to before, you know, no music. Group B was able to make it through the maze the same, and some of them uh, a little bit faster that had been exposed to harmonic music. Mm -hmm. Group C, not only were they not able to make it through the maze, they became very aggressive, very violent, and even to the point of cannibalism, where they were eating each other uh, and showed and showed signs of uh, dementia and um, and Parkinson's. Uh, same thing after being exposed to this music for two months. So now you think about these different types of music that these mice, if they did this, this experiment on mice, you best believe at some point <coughs> it went to be an experiment on uh, on another level, on yeah. humans. So now if, if it's a particular music can make these mice become aggressive and uh, agitated and all this kind of stuff. Think about how a lot of our kids get labeled. AD, HD, uh, HD, AD, all the hyperactive dis- disorder and everything that's happened that makes them, makes you want to uh, have to or want to put them on medication. Now, I'm not saying that all kids who have ADHD and all that kind of stuff, it's because of the music but what i can tell you is that being exposed to that music is not helping you at all if anything it's making that situation that you have even worse and when you look at these neighborhoods and these uh the kids it's majority i don't know the percentage but it's majority african-american kids and so you how many times have have you gone there and they said he said well he's he's hyper won't sit down keeps doing this he's defiant you know he's talking back he's using profanity and the parent goes, well, we're not teaching him that. We ain't teach him that at home. We ain't, we ain't raise him that way. Right. No, you didn't sitting down eating dinner. You know, maybe you curse at home, use profanity, whatever. But if you get in the car and the words are bleeped out, but the sound is still there. Right. That child know what that sound is. That child know what that word is. Yeah, he but he, he can fill in the blank easily. Easily fill in the blank. And then you take some of our mega superstars, Beyonce, uh, your Lil Wayne's, and all these people that they listen to, and you play some of the lyrics from their songs, and here are kids that, uh, here are artists that their parents love. And the parents in the front seat dancing, or the parents in the house dancing and getting the kid to dance along with them. Mm-hmm. And this kid is going, hey, this person here who takes care of me every day that I look up to and feeds me and everything, they love this. It's, this is okay. Right. This is all right. right. And so what am I going to do? This is what I'm going to do. And, and, and some of our social media research, um, you look at the, uh, we already talked about how it makes these people want to be rappers or live this life of gangsters and thugs mm-hmm. because of the music. And a lot of these uh, rappers or hip-hop artists, that's not even their life. Yeah. They're using these stories from somebody else out the newspaper, but they're rapping it's about marketable. it's marketable. Exactly what they're doing. And so on that end, you have the violent violence part or the drug part of it. Right. And for our young girls, our young ladies, the, a lot of the music is designed for you to do the dance called twerking to. And if you're out there twerking and you're 
to see who can shake their rear the best mm -hmm. and the hardest while men stand to the side. Those men are not standing to the side watching you gyrate, thinking about what's your ACT score. They're thinking of something else sure. that could be going on here. Sure. And then you, and you wonder why we have this low self-esteem or why we have rape the way it is. Uh, one of the things when we were doing research, um, there was a what they call them bounce artists out of New Orleans, that female a rapper gave a contest to her song, $20,000 to the young lady who could uh, twerk the best off of my song. Well, it's a marketing scheme. Right. You know, now all this many people, she's going to go viral because all these people are going to be dancing to a song. And everybody's trying to win the $20,000. Right. You know, we're poor, we're less fortunate, whatever. I can sure use $20,000. And one of the things we came across, this young lady had her toddler in the room. Baby couldn't have been more than two, three, walk around in diapers. And she had on uh, what's uh, all in one suit. I think they call them cat suits. And she, her video starts off and she's trying to, you know, win the money. Mm -hmm. And she's all over in her living room, all over the sofa and everything. And then here comes the baby into the screen. And she's going so hard, she, she hits the baby and knocks the baby off to the side. Now, did this parent pick up her child and say, hey, hey, are you okay, baby? Here, mama got you or whatever. Parent picked that baby up, pushed it to the side, and went back to doing what? Trying to get that $20,000, mm -hmm. working as hard as she could. Mm -hmm. And that's the mindset of what this music and, every, and the life that it brings does to a lot of our younger adults. You know, if you're, if you're programmed through this through high school mm -hmm. and then you do become a young adult, this is all you kind of know. And my job has always been, at least let me try to give, a, give balance. Mm -hmm. You know, let me introduce you to classical music. Let me go and play some blues over here. Let me go and play some jazz. Mm -hmm. Because if all you're listening to every day is mainstream hip-hop and nothing again, nothing against hip-hop artists, you know, that's your lane, that's what you do. Right. Go ahead and do it, and that's how you make your money. Right. But uh, ultimately, we're going to talk, I'm going to try to get in touch with some of our well-known local hip-hop artists because mm -hmm. I want them to have this shirt and take a picture. And I want the message to be, my music is for you, not for your seven-year-old child. Yeah. You know, and that's the message we're going to try to get when we go for some of our national hip-hop artists. Doesn't that work against cross-purposes? Or, or doesn't that work at cross-purposes, I guess is the way I should say that. Because... These artists want to make as much money as they possibly can. And whoever they can get to listen to and purchase their music, that's what they're most interested in. It, so, in effect, you're asking them to work against their own personal interests by asking them to adopt this this practice. And that's it's not so much. It's not as simple as that. I am asking them to... Take on this initiative. Right. But what I'm asking you to do is is say the parent is, is you know, the parent is the one that's buying this music right. that the seven-year-old is listening to. Now, I'm not talking about 13 or 14 and above, mm -hmm. whatever high school is. Mm -hmm. the, the message is we want you, when you're around any child in elementary school or middle school, just be aware of listening to this song mm -hmm. around them. Uh, we've had some uh, rappers to come out and say, uh, they disagree with, they're, they're uh, shocked at and not in agreement with kids playing with guns because of their songs. You know, if somebody got shot because they're trying to be like them. You know, right. uh, some, uh, some of them come out and said, you know what, this isn't, we're making this up. 
you know, these these kids are going out here and doing this for real. And we're making this up, and this is why I stopped doing this particular type of rap. Right. I, I don't know those artists' names right now, but there are some documentaries uh, right. where these they've come out and say, you know what, I didn't do this for people to be getting killed. Well, to me, that's like blaming an actor. That's like that's like blaming uh, uh, Al Pacino. Uh, because somebody goes out and wants and to be Scarface and shoot somebody. Yeah, and, uh, and you can, I, I, you cannot blame Al Pacino. But watch this: when before you are able to go in and see Al Pacino, they have what's called PG thirteen or rated R, right? Which means we don't want Al Pacino to not do Scarface. That was a, a real life thing that happened, and we and people need to know that story and how that stuff happened. It's you know in some areas it's even fascinating how they got to where they were to the level the way they did it, but. A parent who says, you know what, I'm going to go in here and see Scarface. Right. I'm going to go take my six-year-old child, and we're going to sit down and watch Scarface. That's the main thing. Is, is yeah. the How do you stop irresponsible parenting? That, because, because what you're describing is irresponsible parenting. Right. Uh, so, uh, so a parent who lets a six-year-old sit down and watch Scarface. Is an irresponsible or parent. Or my favorite, The Godfather, parts one, two, and three. Uh, uh, how, how does a parent let a six-year-old or an eight-year-old or a ten-year-old watch that kind of entertainment? Right, and how do you stop it? Yeah. I'm glad you asked. That's why we're going, if it takes one person at a time, because a lot of times some of them don't know the effects. It's almost if uh, you take a parent. I know a parent recently who just stopped smoking mm -hmm. and start and started the real journey to stop smoking. Now they're doing this new thing, vape in secret. But before that, they were smoking around the kid all the time, right. until they went to the doctor and then they started to see these effects. And this is what happens. Here's the health thing, and here's what can happen to uh, people who get not only second but third hand smoke. In mm -hmm. other words, you go off to outside and you hide and you smoke and you smoke it. And then, you know, you come back in, well, those carcinogens are in your clothes. So when you come back home, you take that shirt off. You're throwing those carcinogens in the air. Right. Ultimately, so that particular parent said, you know what? My health and my child's health is, is I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. it, it becomes, whoa, I didn't know that. Right. So now I'm going to do better. And so it's about uh, a community coming together, uh, churches coming together, right. and people being unified, uh, the, our politicians coming together, just being unified on the message of, here are the effects when this, when ch children who are, you know, at a certain age, they can process it for themselves. Mm -hmm. But at six, seven, eight, nine, ten, they're not able to process what's going on or what's being uh, heard in those songs. They're not. You know, they don't know how to do it. So it's up to creating responsible parents. And the only way to make responsible parents is to educate those parents. Mm -hmm. You know, you go to like, I'm hopefully in the fall, we're at a P at the PTA meetings, mm -hmm. just giving our brief. Here's what happens when you uh, bring, bring your child to school, listening to this artist and this song. Mm -hmm. And so naturally the parents are going to say, well, what am I supposed to do then? What, since Okay, since that's bad, then what am I supposed to do? Well, then it becomes, and all you want to do is open that dialogue. All you right. want them to do is say, well, okay, well, what do you what do you suggest? What do you think I need to do? Right. That's all you need to do is open that dialogue. Then we can start to see, then becomes behavior modification one-on-one. Mm -hmm. Replace a negative behavior with a positive behavior. Mm -hmm. Okay, here, here are some stations that play music that you'll like and your child will like. Like Here's, Disney Channel on satellite radio. Like uh, Disney Channel. Which plays so, uh, music, but plays a certain they, they type have of this, music. They, they, some of them have these things called Kids Bop, which uh, all of it, like we're, we're, I've worked with uh, a lot of the personalities at Cumulus, and we're putting a team together to where we can filter through songs mm -hmm. um, to say, here's an appropriate list of songs. And we plan to do a podcast. We'll 
parents could tune in on their mm-hmm. way to work with songs that have been speci- specially selected, and it could be your favorite rapper. Mm-hmm. But in this particular song, he's not talking about sex, drugs, and, and uh, violence. Right. And so now here you you have this this music that you can dance and move to, and your child has some something that's safe for them to listen to. Right. Um, the the main thing would the great thing would be is to teach parents to have that dialogue just have open dialogue with their kids. Right. The family is being dis- destroyed, uh, and it has a lot to do with a lot of things. Like you said, no one is at the dinner table anymore, all those things. So you have to now find time to have dialogue. Right. Well, while you got them trapped in the car and they can't jump out, why not find these creative ways to say to have encouraging things to say before they walk into the school, mm-hmm. as opposed to they're going into school bouncing and jigging. Mm-hmm. You know, have, find ways to uh, encourage them and say these positive things. Um, uh, on the way, um, my kids' mother will do uh, have them recite the uh, Psalms, the twenty third. You know, and just recite verbal uh, Bible verses. Uh, my son, he knows them. All you gotta do is say the first word. And he's going to recite the rest of the passage yeah. because from elementary school on his way to school, that that's what was being done. Mm-hmm. So that's instilled in him. Uh, some people do the corny dad jokes or the riddles or the knock knock. Before you know it, you're at school. You just need something to replace it. Right. You know, and it'll be great. Then once you pick them up, how was your day? What happened in your day? Yeah. They could have had a moment of trauma some kind of way that they... They want to talk about, right? But if they get in and it's boom, 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 and then okay, now the dopamine kicks in. It's and like then okay, you're telling them be quiet, yeah, because my song is be on. quiet. I'm gonna no. tell you one of the most embarrassing moments I had this past spring. Um, I work with uh, arts council and Big Buddy as a uh, artist and resident teacher, and I was teaching at a school out here off of uh, Guardia, and uh, mixed school, mm-hmm. uh, white and black, and on the way out, uh, it is after school program, so on the way out. I'm coming down with my little instruments, and there's a little, and this is fourth grade, third or fourth, third, fourth grade, little, little, um, little white girl comes out, and she, she was, she has, every class, she's been excited about music, and so she tells her mom, she said, mom, that's the music teacher, and her mom goes, oh, you're the music teacher, she's been coming home, doing this music stuff, and we're just happy, she, and so now we have this little kind of happy praise uh, music thing going on, you know, here with the parent and student, and I'm mm-hmm. here, and we're walking out to the parking lot, and I'm happy because this child is going home telling mom how much she loves music. That means I'm doing my job. So right. I'm feeling good, and before I can go to open the door for them, for us to walk outside, there's a carpool line, and there's a black Tahoe right here in the front, and you could hear the music. He has his door closed and the windows up, but you can hear and feel mm-hmm. the music before I open the door. So me and the, the parent and I, we're still talking. And by the time I open the door for us to go outside, we can't even hear each other. So we just stop talking because now we have to walk past this vehicle to get to the parking lot. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I, I'm, I'm looking at the expression on her face, and I see the little girl kind of doing this. And I'm looking at this guy who's an African-American male in this car, just pl- playing this music with no regard for anybody else. Right. With the, the uncut version. I hear you. So I hear all the N words, all the F words, all these things are right here in this carpool. And the first thing that was laid on my heart was what child has to get in this vehicle right. and go home? Right. Because he's not about to turn it down. Right. And they're going to ride wherever they got to go with this child listening to this. That is the day I decided to take this project off of the back burner because mm-hmm. it's been uh, a baby of mine for the past two, three years. Mm-hmm. And I've always said, okay, I'm going to get to it. I'm going to get to it. I'm going to get to it. Let's do some more research. But that day, leaving that school this past spring, mm-hmm. I decided 
this is this is ridiculous because now I'm embarrassed because this parent and I can't even talk anymore. This little girl is holding her ears. And now, more importantly, there's a child who just got through learning in this school that has to get in this vehicle. How dare you? Right. And it reinforces stereotypes. That yes. People, that people already have. That they already have. And and, and, and people can get mad if, if, if they want to, talking about, well, I have, you know, I'm an individual and you shouldn't judge me by... But the truth I'm of not the matter a role is, model, all that. perception is reality in in the minds and in the hearts of most of these uh, people that we're dealing with and talking about. You you, you mentioned church music. I, I want to get it back to church because you do play uh, not just for us here at Shiloh, but you play at other churches as well. What's your opinion of church music today? Twenty first century church music. Oh, that's a that's a great question. Um, I have uh, I have my my opinion varies depending on where I am, mm -hmm. uh, but the overall umbrella is I love the music, uh, most of the music that most of the music that we play in church today, especially the music that is centered around. Um, and people are going to talk to me about uh, but see songs kind of like uh, Cool and Water and all that kind of stuff. You know, mm -hmm. I'm not a big fan. Is uh, to me, I'm I'm. I love more praise and worship songs that are songs that are going to touch your heart, mm -hmm. songs that are make a tear come to your eye. Mm -hmm. Some months ago, which which we haven't finished it because I haven't been back in the studio, I, I wrote a song that I brought here and I let you listen to it on my phone. That is, uh, it's complete in its writing form, but as far as the musicians and getting together recorded, mm -hmm. we have not done that part yet. But I pref I prefer more praise and worship music. Mm -hmm. uh, I do feel that the church music and its actual message is extremely important to the overall um, part of why we come to church. Mm -hmm. I am um, oftentimes when I'm, uh, I'm a, I'm a low key guy. I, I, I'm, I'm background. My instruments, I play tuba, I play bass, electric bass here. That's a foundation instrument. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not a soloist. I'm not a person that needs to be out in front. I prefer to be the, a foundation instrument in the background. Mm -hmm. But sometimes when I get the feeling it, uh, you know, I want to hop out of my seat, mm -hmm. but I'll a lot of times try to restrain myself because the the attention needs to be on the message mm -hmm. and not on the soloist or the person playing the music. Mm -hmm. And and I found because I know a lot of church musicians, I found that I found that that culture is filled with a lot of diva type. Uh, musicians, they're great musicians, right. but it's a lot about hey, look at me, I'm over here, right. and hey, that's that's my song, that's my song that I sing. And when they get up to sing it, a lot of times you can tell it's not hard to to see it. I mean, it's not hard to see what's going on. It's more of a showmanship, a performance, right. than it is of let me let God use me right. to give this message to you. When I b before I play, and I try to do it every time. I ask God to let me decrease and let you increase in me so that what my fingers do touch on this bass, touch somebody out in the audience. Right. And then I, I'm able to leave it there and I'm able to play with a certain amount of confidence mm -hmm. uh, because of that. But when you have the musicians who are, couldn't happen if it wasn't for me, I wouldn't be the same, I'm, right. you know, it wasn't for me. Right. That takes away from, in, in our musical uh, culture here, as far as far as gospel music goes, mm -hmm. we have a lot of that goes goes on. And if you don't have the right niche and the right group of musicians, uh, a lot can be lost. 
and it becomes a show. Yeah. That's that that I would say that's my only downfall. And I have another thing where I have a problem with uh, these pastors who allow the musicians to once the music is done, to just let them leave. You know, <laughs> leave and go on, go on outside and go smoke your cigarette or whatever you're going to yeah. go out there and smoke and do. It. And then when you hear me hooping holler, then you can come back in and yeah. now let me pay you. Yeah. I have a problem with that yeah. because if you're not sitting there getting the message, you know what I mean, and no. being in tune to the message, no. the music that you're playing, a lot of times it's going to be for naught. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's not going to reach what you needed to reach. So if, you know, when, in a, you, and like I said, you have one of the best staffs musically here that has ever been assembled. So when, when, you, right. when you finish preaching and those musicians um, come up with the songs that seem like they were tailored to your message, mm -hmm. that extends the message, that's an amazing talent to me, yeah. to be able to do that. Yeah. That is an amazing talent. Yeah. And my job at that point is like, okay, how can I play? Not I don't want people to say, "Hey, did you hear the bass?" But how can I add this bass to this song they just selected to go mm -hmm. with that message to send these people home with this feeling of encouragement and okay, I feel better going into this week. I can't wait to get back and just I'm you know about that experience. Not so mm -hmm. much as it as a three, two, one action. Not that kind of experience, but this whole feeling that I that I've experienced here. Mm -hmm. And even when it moves you, you might get up and something's get up and you come on and you tag in on a song that we're ending, but you were feeling it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you start yeah. singing it and now you sent the congregation into a, a, up to another level. Yeah. That's what the music is supposed to do. Yeah. That's it in its truest form. I think that there are certain songs, especially over the last 20 years, maybe 25, I'm getting old. Uh, somewhere along the way, music industry discovered that they could make money on gospel music. And... Uh, gospel and contemporary Christian and spiritual music, whatever term they want to use for it, has become an industry. And there's a, a lot industry. that I hear on the radio that I just don't feel is appropriate for a Sunday morning worship experience. Not oh. to say that it's bad music. It's not my kind of music. And I would not want to hear it on a Sunday morning in... Shiloh, you mentioned Cooling Waters. Now, you know, it's quartet singing. Right. And, and, and when it's in the car, I, I, I like to try to harmonize with the, with, <laughs> with, 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 with the, with the quartet. But I don't want to hear Cooling Waters on a Sunday morning because Cooling Waters got nothing to do with Jesus. Right. Don't, don't say a thing about, about Jesus. So as a musician, as a composer, as someone who spends a lot of his time and energy in music, what's your, what's your sense of of where people are with regard to gospel music uh, that's for church versus gospel music that I personally don't think that is for Just church. to entertain. Yeah. Uh, I think you, well, the first thing I think is that it really is a um, dying art. There are not enough people that are writing songs that are message-based. And a lot of times you... Uh, Let's take uh, Brother Jarrell, for instance. You know, a lot of songs that he arranged and some of those uh, things that he do, they're based, they're message based to mm -hmm. me. The music, his music that I've been able to listen to, and I like it. Um, but like you said, there's this part of the industry where people are going into the studio to try to make a gospel hit. Right. And I really feel like you, you are missing the mark. And it's almost like, let me give you an example. Um, 
I go into the schools uh, when I was in high school. Uh, I used to think I wanted to go to the military because my brother went to the military. I wanted to go to the Air Force. And the Marine Band came to my high school. And the band director, and they were like, okay, we're going to listen to the Marine Band. I was like, man, oh, please. <laughs> Nobody want to hear that old horn music, you yeah. know, kind of stuff. You know, we were playing uh, back in my high school, Purple Rain and all that stuff was Michael Jackson and right. Prince were. And that's the stuff we played at our halftime shows. That stuff these Marine people come to play, they won't have no parts of that. Yeah. And so I reluctantly went to the auditorium, and we sat down. And from the first note out the gate, I was floored. And I knew... I want to be a part of something like this. I want to do music past high school mm -hmm. because of that experience. So that let me know there that kids and people in general need to have an experience that's going to make them appreciate that. Mm -hmm. Now, the second part of that is after you've done this and you get into it, somebody has to be that person that passes the torch of what is the, the genuine core of what it is you're doing, your music. For example, um, I think it, it was amazing for me during the time, and I'd say it was a pleasant thing to happen, but for you to take over after your dad, you know, that was like legacy being passed down, and you just had this feeling of uh, that continued legacy in, an, in, a, in, a, in your own way, mm -hmm. but this is a person who grew up in the music, grew up in the ministry, in this ministry, and this torch has been passed, and this is the right kind of torch to be passed. Um, like you were talking about, uh, I think one day, children who their parents, uh, and I don't know when this was, but sometimes their parents have a business going, then the kids go away and don't have anything to do with the right. business at the parents. So, right. that's, so a lot of these things become lost. And so that's what's happening to me in gospel music, spiritual music. You know, everybody wants that new, oh, we got this contemporary gospel, whatever. A lot of it sounds good, but here's this guy, he sounds like a rock and roll singer, but not right. saying Jesus right here. And to me, it has to do more than sound good. It has to have a message that really can relate to. When I wrote the song, the praise and worship song that I hope to hurry up and get out, it was after the flood. Mm -hmm. And it was it was doing a, a low time for me. I didn't realize uh, I'm all you know, I'm also a car, I have a construction company. So I, have, I do construction in the that's my day job mm -hmm. when I'm not playing music. And I, I remember after the flood, I got caught up and I'm fixing all these other people's homes and I could come home and do a little bit on mine because I got flooded and you know then it was like okay as long as we have a kitchen and a bathroom going we sleep on these air mattresses then after so long it's like man a year's passed man and I got my kids on air mattresses now I need to touch up their rooms and get their rooms and all and all and right. but but I'm at everybody else's houses fixing and doing and making everything pretty and then one day not long ago it realized it dawned on me um People have a warped sense of, I think most people have a warped sense of what depression can look like. You know, they think it's somebody walking around frowning and mm -hmm. woe is me. But mm -hmm. I was in a state of coming home to a house that was incomplete right. every day. Right. A place where you're supposed to be able to come and relax and kick your feet up and uh, take the weight off of the day. Right. And it was just in disarray. Yeah. So my life was in disarray. And all this stuff was just going on and... Uh, in the day, you know, people pulling you this way left. They don't care about your home. They want their home fixed. They, they want this correct. done. And everybody wants it done yesterday. Yeah. And so you're doing this and you're trying to be professional and be out there for these people doing this. And then, you know, your kids that need you and any other person that needs you. And now you're trying to make sure you give them the time that you need. But then you go in and you're in this form of disarray. Right. I wrote that song during that time. Mm -hmm. 
about the flood. And it taught me, and the, the, the main core of that song is be thankful. Instead of getting down on your knees and asking for uh, increase and asking for all the things that you're asking for, right. look around at what you have, right. be thankful, and realize that God made you a steward over certain things, and he's not going to give you no more until you show him that you're a good steward over what he gave you. Mm -hmm. you know, so take care of that and just be, and be thankful, and then try to be mindful of, of what he's given you. And then he'll, when it's time, you know, the, the story of the parables. And then he'll, he'll, give you, he'll put you over more when you yeah. show him that you're ready for more. Yeah. And so when I, and I said that whole story to say that's what that one song came out of. Mm -hmm. Now, I've never written another uh, God, that was my first and only ever gospels. Uh, a praise to me is praise and worship song, mm -hmm. and I'm not trying to make money off of it. I, it's a message that I want people to hear, mm -hmm. and because of what we're going through with our climate control and, and everything, and when the, it says in the song, "Flood waters may rise," but it lets you also know that it's going to be okay once once you know who's in control. Right. And so the the song to me had a message that you can relate to, uh, tangible something that's tangible, and then related to you strengthening your faith. Mm -hmm. So to me, the song will have that powerful message. Yeah. Somebody's going. Uh, there's a young lady who's in the studio. Who's, uh, who asked my band to open up for her CD release. And her whole thing was like, we're in the studio. I got this producer who he produced uh, Tamla Man. And he doing, and ooh, listen to what he playing right here. They love to name drop. If you're enjoying this conversation, please join us for part two.